1: i am stoked to uh have my guest on today it's uh paul douglas moon Moonjean, and i was uh talking to him before we got on i was trying to figure out how i found him and i we figured out it's through um john poveromo's show dystopia tonight but for some reason i went down this rabbit hole watching his dry bar special and watching all the videos that he has online and i decided i want to talk to him and he's got he, he he's got a lot of insight into comedy that he brings on the stage in a subtle way and i just really i, I really want to get into that so i'm going to bring him up right now it's paul douglas moon gene hi paul hi scott how are you i'm fabulous how are you
0: doing well i mean two o'clock on a thursday like yeah. This is like the weird you know, it's like the the part of the day where it's kind of like if nothing ever happened for the rest of the day, it's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know how like you it feel. It's not like Monday where you're like, oh, we have to get all this stuff done by Friday. Yeah. By two o'clock Thursday, you know how your week went.
1: That's right. That's right. You know how it went and you can't yeah. save it, so you might as well just coast for the rest of the two days. Yeah.
0: I take my wins, my losses, and then go, hey, we'll start again on Monday.
1: Yeah, so I, in my stalking of you, I've uh, noticed uh, a cigar in your mouth quite a few times. I'm a cigar smoker myself, and right after this, my son's coming over to have a smoke with me. So, um, do, are, are do you do you still smoke cigars, or was that something that you did and you don't do any longer?
0: So last year in July, I had massive heart failure. Yeah, and I've lost a bunch of weight since then, and I've had to change dietary and social habits Uh huh. so cigars now since july of last year i've had maybe three okay and that's but when i was having three a night yeah pandemic...
1: so you sound like me that's where i was and so i started in the 90s and the um by the time the 2000s rolled around i had enough cigars in humidors and wine cool or wine refrigerators that were converted into humidors to last me till I'm like ninety. And I smoked that I smoked a lot. You know, I every night it was, you know, two or three. And then um I cut down just on my own. I, I didn't have a health scare or anything. I cut down and then my son got old enough to smoke with me. So we would go out in the backyard and have a smoke like every night. So he went to college and I got totally depressed about it. And I didn't have a cigar for like, probably five or six years, except for Mm -hmm. I, I bought some for my daughter's wedding and I had a couple that night. But you know, and I've still got most of the cigars and they're, they're just in a, a tub now because we moved from South Bend down to Huntsville, Alabama, and I decided not to keep humidors because we're downsizing and I don't have room for it. But uh, now, you know, I, I rarely smoke, but I still have a ton of cigars, so when he asked me to come over for a smoke, I always say yes. And uh, I, 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 I enjoy it, but, man, it was, it was a problem for a while. <laughs>
0: I, well, during the, like I said, during the pandemic, I, I, re, I fell in love again with smoking, uh-huh. and it's, you know, it's like, I, I, I the lack of socialization, so I, I had this nice balcony, so I got to the balcony, and I set up a little, uh, station there, and I yeah. have my co- cocktails and my cigar, and I set up my little phone, and I would watch things and just kind of, you know, smoke outside, you know, and, well it's actually really kind of fun when it's like 46 degrees and you get a big jacket on and you're smoking a cigar. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a, it's an experience. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's the closest I feel to being manly at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I put on that big jacket.
1: I and, dig you know, it. I dig it. My, my original reason to start smoking cigars is because Lutterman smokes cigars. So that, you know, I, always wanted to in the 80s but I kind of stuck stayed away from it cuz I quit smoking cigarettes when I was 18 and I didn't want to get back into it so in the 90s I finally caved and started smoking them and then it became a problem of course and uh and now it's it's not a problem anymore I just have a few but yeah it's it's it, it's a uh, it's one of those things that anything that you do like that can turn into a problem pretty quickly if you let it and I did
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. No. My eye doctor told me that if I don't stop smoking cigars, it's, I'm going to go blind. Wow. Because he said it was affecting so much of my health and my heart and everything. And you know, I also had to quit drinking. And so uh, the doctors had told me basically, I never thought of myself as an alcoholic or a smokeaholic. I just thought of myself as a drunk and a very sophisticated person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so. So, I was able to quit cold turkey, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I was able to prove to my family I wasn't really an alcoholic. You don't quit cold turkey when you're an
1: alcoholic. No doubt.
0: Right? But I was drunk and I have to smoke. You know, I smoked more than I should. But my doctors were telling me, they're like, you can't do this anymore. You spent your 30s drinking and smoking at a level that was basically a lifetime worth of of substance (laughs) abuse. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I got to live out, which is kind of cool because now I feel better. Yeah. So I got to have this, I got to have an entire lifetime of a decade.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And now, now that you've already had that, you don't have to worry about doing it again. You can just be healthy now.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I have the greatest excuse because when people go, oh, you're not drinking or you're not smoking, I go, oh, heart, heart disease. Yeah. Yeah. You know? You know, nobody wants you to actively kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You know, people want you to passively kill yourself. Yeah. You know, like people are like, oh, please drink with us. Let's slowly die together.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, as I was watching your comedy and I watched a little bit more last night, and I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I see you as somebody who portrays himself on stage as a regular guy who shows that there's no such thing as a regular guy. And I'm thinking of Walt Whitman. We, we contain multitudes and, okay. and, and uh, that, that, that's what I get that you, that there's no such thing as a regular guy. We are all deeper than we show. and, and, we, we've we've got deep thoughts we, we we've got hopes and dreams we've got all that kind of stuff and that seems to come out in your comedy do you do you recognize that or do you do that on purpose or
0: so I how am i getting this, this? <laughs> well I, I i'm a storyteller uh uh-huh. tell you know everything's a story i do very little observational humor i don't do like what's the deal with airplane food yeah you know <laughs> uh a lot of people do observational or, or very, I don't do topical. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I mean, if I talk about a movie, it's The Little Mermaid. It's something that's 30 years old. Yeah. So what I found was, is that being an English major, being an English, I was a college professor. Mm-hmm. I learned a long time ago when I was a 20 year old English student and film student, um, everyone has a story. Every single person and I you know I I don't know if you knew this or not, but I, I run the workshops and the classes of flappers. Yeah, I saw that. Right. So so I work with newbies all the time, mm-hmm. brand new topics, nice people, accountants, doctors, lawyers, actors. They just want to try comedy for the first time. And I'll ask them, you know, they'll say, Oh, I'm really boring. I'm very, I'm just a white guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll say things like that. And I go. Tell me about your last girlfriend. Oh, she was, uh, she turned out to be a lesbian.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, well, that's more interesting than just a white guy story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I get a lot of people that don't think of their lives as being interesting. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, if you're vulnerable, you're interesting. Right. And so when I talk about how I had all these jobs that didn't really work out, or when I talk about all these people I try to date age group wise, and it doesn't work out there's a sense of vulnerability. I never present myself as being cool.
3: Right, right.
0: And in the process, people always tell me, they feel like, wow, it's really cool what you did up there because I'm not trying to, I'm not a Marvel superhero. I'm Mm -hmm. not Tony Stark. And most comedians are trying to be cool. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize is Richard Pryor, if you go back and break down his bits, he was never trying to be cool.
3: No. Yeah.
0: When you, when you, you look at the, you know, you, then you get more Jerry Seinfeld and, and, and Jim Gaffigan. They, they obviously are not traditionally cool. Mm. But what I realized is people just like it when I tell them what's going on in my life because I have a lot of contradictions. Yeah. I'm two hundred 200 pounds, but I hang out with hooters girls all day. Uh-huh. And I'm 40 years old but I look 29, 30 to most people. Mm. So I have all these contradictions. So people are always kind of curious how I developed into this particular life. I used to be very involved in Christian education. And now I do this, like, mm. how does one do all these things and, and still maintain who they are. And so that's what I realized is when I, when I just do that, when I talk about that in my stand up, like I have a 26 year old roommate. And one of the bits that I've been working on is we have nothing in common. Uh-huh. And and it's causing, it's like, it's like watching a whole different person. It's like, it's almost like there's two worlds in one world. Yeah. She lives such a different life. She knows where concert tickets for free. to like Weezer are, or mm-hmm. Green Day mm-hmm. or like, I don't even know how to buy a ticket on Ticketmaster. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so so to get to do all those things and to be able to live that life I'm very blessed that I live a a, a much more interesting life than I should uh and that I get double blessed cuz I get to share it and get paid for that on stage.
1: Yeah. So and thinking about what you could have done with your life, you know, in thinking about, you know, being a teacher, being a professor and you gave it up to do stand up. Do you what what went into that decision? Was it was it the fact that stand up was where you felt the most comfortable, or what what was it?
0: So I was so when I turned eighteen, I started coaching high school wrestling. Mm-hmm. So the plan was become a high school teacher, head wrestling coach, and eventually probably the athletic director and at wrestling coach. Because I've seen that mapped out, right? Like I like at eighteen, I saw the pathways. Mm-hmm. But a funny thing happened on the way to a regular life, which is parents are awful. I mean, I I, I have a general, really, I believe every parent is awful. They don't mean to be awful. Yeah. I mean, every parent is an open mic.
3: Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: Every parent, it doesn't matter who you are. And even the cool parents are going to neglect so much in their parenting and the bad parents are going to produce good kids. And there's no rhyme or reason to Yeah. It. Okay. Sometimes you just lay a dud. You know, I, you, my brother lives with my grandma. He's 38 years old. uh uh-huh. Okay. He's a wonderful guy. Has his own problems. But my mom sometimes is like, what happened? I go, I don't know. Lots of people just don't make it the way we're supposed to make it.
3: Right. Right. right.
0: So, So here's the thing. Parents aren't willing to admit that their kid is a dud. So trying to teach duds and then deal with their parents going, that this kid's an A student. Your kid picks his nose at 16.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> your, your kid can't even do the in-class journal, all right? I've got kids with two left feet whose parents think they should get a full scholarship ride yeah. to Iowa to wrestle. So the parents drove me out. Mm-hmm. I, not like actual pitchforks. Yeah. But I'm a common sense person. I go, I don't want to spend the next 20, 30 years Battling with dads, yeah, who think their kid is the second coming of everything. Mm-hmm. So, so that got me out of that. And there's no money in the colleges because back in 2008, when I got the master's degree started, there was uh, 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 there were more college positions than there were colleges. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was uh, I w- I would there's a multiverse where I'm making 180,000 right now writing books as a professor. Yeah, but then after the crash. All those jobs got taken. Yeah. And they all got eliminated. And then now it's just adjunct part time, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, well, there's no future there. I have to get a PhD and I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I just decided, you know, I always wanted to do stand up. And so as I was becoming frustrated with teaching in 2015, I said, I'm going to go try this. Mm-hmm. So I did an open mic and I got laughs and uh uh, at flappers and uh it was the audition mic i didn't know what that meant but it was the audition mic and they booked me wow which they book everyone well mostly but i didn't know that and so it goes back to a real simple thing is i didn't i didn't know that everyone gets a shot to you know bring five friends to a show Mm. so i did and i i didn't know what i was supposed to do and i was too stupid to ask questions so i just called up a bunch of buddies and said, hey, I'm doing five minutes of stand up and clappers. You wanna come watch me do it? And they were like, sure. And they brought their girlfriends and then they rebooked me again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, and so I was like, oh, I, I don't know what I did, but whatever I did, I'll do it again. And then I took a class because I was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And the class really helped me figure out the idea of what really clearly is set up punch. Mm-hmm. And and this is, listen, everyone eventually who makes it figures this out without a class or with a class, okay? But what the class does is it gets you to think in terms of what stand-up comedy should sort of look like and how to develop something that works within your skills. Mm-hmm. So classes aren't for everyone because not everybody is academically minded. We at Flappers get a lot of students who happen to be uh, academically minded people who like being told Here's what you should be trying. And if you don't like it, there's something else you can try. Yeah. But they need structure. A lot of open micers, I was a structurer. A lot of open micers want just five minutes to play, mm-hmm. they don't want structure at all. That wasn't me. And I, I didn't feel good when I did that. So, what the class did is it got me to move faster. I got my dry bar special two years into comedy. Wow. But because of the pandemic, it took them a long time to, yeah. to post last November, mm-hmm. but I built out 40 minutes of material that Drybar was willing to tape and pay me and put up online and do all that within two years. Now, my Drybar special is no more better or worse than anybody else's, which uh, I say for a two years end, it's a miracle. Oh yeah. Two years in. so yeah. And then Lax on Fox put me up a year and a half in. Mm-hmm. So... So I was generating material that was TV ready at a very young point. Now, I also happened to be at the time, you know, 33 years old, 34, so 35 ish or whatever those two years were. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing material as an adult who already has a point of view. Yeah. So stand up comedy, and I was always, I was the in sixth grade, I was voted, you know, funniest kid. I was voted most likely to be a sit down comedian.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: And I was a terrible athlete. and uh, But it was very funny. And everybody knew that. So by being the class clown, by being the one who's funny, by being, the, I was kind of a Ted Lasso before Ted Lasso, being that kind of goopy, funny, inspirational guy, stand-up came really, easy. Mm-hmm. it just did. And it doesn't mean I don't bomb half the time. I still bomb all the time. But I bomb less than I would have if I didn't embrace who I was and if I didn't have a little bit of coaching up front Say, this is what, so now I don't need an open mic to see if a, work, if a fit works.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I know what works for me. Mm-hmm. And as long as it falls within that. So you talked about the idea of the everyday guy, the schlub, who isn't always just a schlub. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's on point. The, the 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 words that I use when I teach my advanced classes is there's a theme in my comedy, which is I win when I lose and I lose when I win. Uh. And the audience only wants that so i do a bit where i dated a miss columbia which i did mm-hmm. and then she dumped me for a foreign star which she did mm-hmm. so the audience loves the fact that the the seth Rogen lookalike got a hot girlfriend but they but thank god we live in a world where the universe went back to normal and she went with the guy <laughs> she probably should have been with because <laughs> there is no world listen if i walk in to a place, and I got a really hot girl. People are looking at like their watches as if like, am I in the right time, place, and like, <laughs> what happened here? Yeah. Like, if I walk in with women, it's like, oh, he must be the gay best friend. I walk in with one or two, it's kind of like, how did that guy do it? <laughs> so they people like it that I'm winning, but people also don't want me to end up in a in a George Clooney fantasy.
3: Right, right.
0: So. That's important to, to, to my comedy working. If yeah. my comedy was just, I date hot girls, and then I dump them for more hot girls, the people would, would despise me.
1: Right, right.
0: It's not that that's happening. It's just nobody wants to live in. Nobody wants to think, oh, really, you? Stop it.
1: Yeah, well, and you'd need yeah. to take that type of a character over the top and be a character of that character, kind of like what Steve Martin did when, you know, he well, did I his yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so that's really what got me into it was I always wanted to do it. I studied it as a kid. I used to watch all the Carlin specials, mm-hmm. all Damon Wayne specials. My grandma used to tape me all the HBO specials. And then I I kind of watched it as a kid. I kind of figured out the rhythm a little bit on like voice inflection and stuff like that. So when I told jokes in class, I was getting laughs because I was kind of stealing voice inflection from the media. Right, and so I yeah. kind of knew little tricks that they didn't realize were were happening. Uh, you know, making faces like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like Jim Gappigan faces. Yeah, you just okay. <laughs> and they would laugh. And I just studied comedy. And then when I became a comedian, it was, it was okay. What what what's funny about me? Mm-hmm. What could be my unique, you know, mannerisms and stuff that I I have? And now you know we're talking here. So yeah, so.
1: With your, with your academic background in mind, how do you approach a bit then? You, you, know, you kind of know what your voice is now. Well, you don't kind of yeah. know. You know what your voice is now. You know who you are on stage and you get a premise. How do you take that from a premise to a bit now?
0: So what I try to do, do is I think to that think that myself, okay, whenever I am embarrassed in a situation, Whenever I am weirded out in a situation, whenever something feels really, really stupid, mm-hmm. I take that and I begin to form it into a bit. So I'll give you an example. I have a, I have a new bit that I'm working on right now in which MTV actually uh, messaged me on Facebook wanting to know if I wanted to be on the show Catfish. <laughs> <laughs> so... I asked, well, what role? Because I'm thinking, if you always be the host, sure. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to be the guy who's catfishing women,
3: uh-huh.
0: And I said, no. Okay. So I go, I have to talk about this on stage. This is hysterical. And it fits in with the win is MTV called. The mm-hmm. loss is that they wanted me to play a creeper. Mm-hmm. So this is going to fit. I'm going to get laughs off this. Yeah. And I, within the first time I did it, big, big laughs, big yeah. laughs. So now I got to think to myself, so I call my buddy up and I go, all right, what's the next show that they would book me on? And he goes, To Catch a Predator. So now the bit expands itself to, okay, so so we start from true. Mm -hmm. The embarrassment of, they think I'm the creepiest guy. That's what they think. They think I'm this creepy guy behind the camera, right by the computer. But what if their only ideas of me were for like shows you know that are just terrible shows so to catch a predator uh, you know they're like hey we think you'd be great for seeing it pregnant you know i'm like i don't want to get arrested you know, <laughs> like all of those types of things so then you start to go what are the worst shows to ever be asked to be So mm. then i can now expand our conversation into the realm of comedy into the realm of exaggeration mm. it's not true or but it feels true and because I can say with such authenticity that MTV did reach out to me about Catfish, I now feel emotionally that I could joke, they might as well have called me about, it, and then I can list all the other terrible shows. <laughs> now I have a bit. Yeah. In the meantime, I have these other things that I'm working on, and, what, and what, as it develops, I begin the process of tagging it out once I've mastered the first two minutes out. So for instance, I have a bit where I talk about I worked at the movie theater. Okay. But I worked with all lesbians. And 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 I didn't know they were all lesbians. I asked one of them out. Mm-hmm. And and the joke is, she goes, I don't date boys. And I say, well, you're in luck, cause I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> That's how the joke ended. That just ended there. Yeah. Then over time, I expanded it into what I'm learning about the birds and the bees and the birds and the birds the bees and the bees Mm -hmm. so then what i do is is i now take something once it's established because it never needs it doesn't need to die as long as it feels authentic to you Mm. then what i'll do is i'll expand it out so now that two minute bit becomes three and a half minutes so anybody who's seen it before a year ago now goes oh i remember this but then they don't know about the tags that i've added Mm -hmm. So it allows for the experience of, of the audience that's familiar with me that sees me at Flappers that sees me at Jerry's Comedy Club that saw me at the Ice House, they would see the bit evolve mm. every single time they saw me. So it, everything starts as a kernel and then I want to grow it out. Mm-hmm. So that was the way in which I approach writing is what's happening to me. How do I feel about it? Why? And then expand based on like, well, what would be the next progression mm-hmm. if this go out of hand? Right. How do you decide
1: if uh, if a joke makes it or not? How many times are you gonna throw it out there before you pull it back and put it back in its case?
0: Well, I think a lot of jokes. Here's my 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 take on that one: is not every joke is ready. For, not every comic is ready for the joke. Mm-hmm. So I have a closer that I did for a long time uh, where I use an Australian accent. Yeah. Okay. I, I was at a job and I use an Australian accent.
1: I watched that one last night. Yeah.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. When I first wrote that, it was seven years ago. It didn't make it into the act until about four years later. Uh-huh. And the reason is because I wasn't sophisticated or, or strong enough as a comic to structure that out so that there were setups and punchlines and the act outs we're moving the story along. Uh-huh. Right. So, you know, it started as a dinner party where people I'd just tell them, Oh yeah, I used to use an Australian accent to give, you know, tips at work. Yeah. I'd go into the accent for five seconds. Everyone would laugh and bump. But with comedy, I was able to start expanding it. I started asking myself, All right. where what were the worst places I visited and mm. who were the worst people to get in front of? And, yeah. you know, what was the most, difficult? well, the same thing kind of goes with a joke where I go, if I think a joke is funny, I may say, uh, okay, it's not clicking now, which means I may need to wait six months to to, to, to determine if that's the bit that actually um, mm. would work with a different version of
2: being. Mm-hmm.
0: Me, when I first started comedy, was not as confident as I am now. So there were bits that worked when I was shaky That wouldn't work now that I feel way more comfortable and confident on stage.
1: I, I get that. And I, I, and I've been more of a hobbyist, but there's, there's some things that really worked when I first started out that I'm just not going to do anymore because it doesn't fit anymore. It's, you know, I've, I've changed my point of view and it just, even though it's funny and I could do it, it it just doesn't work with the rest of the act anymore.
0: Another thing too is, so when I lost weight, the fat jokes that I was doing no longer worked. Mm -hmm. So I now had to do fat jokes from the perspective of someone who feels more, the awkwardness of feeling more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that became right, so I can't just do the fat jokes mm-hmm. the way I did. Um, and some jokes I could do were stronger because I lost the
2: weight.
0: Mm-hmm. Some jokes became stronger. Um, but it's also, there's a difference between a five minute bit, or a five, sorry, a five minute set, and a 40 minute set.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in five minutes, things that I couldn't get away with because there's just only a limited amount about time to know me, I can put that into a longer set because I'm going to need that later in life. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing 45 minutes. I can't be choosy because there's only so much material that I know is going, that has to add some success. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. I did a bit about how I used to host pageants, bikini pageants and Hooners.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, it sometimes did well. Sometimes didn't, it, it never did bad, mm-hmm. but it never did. Sometimes it did great, but, but very rarely. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm doing 40, 45 minutes and I need to fill the time and I don't have a great audience for crowd work, you know, like you're like, oh, what do you do for a living? <laughs> no. Like, nah, nah. um, I got to I got to find a bit. To fill the time a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can pull that in, but I can pull that in with a very different energy because you've now been introduced to me for 25 minutes. Mm hmm. Now when I say to you, by the way, did you guys all know I used to host bikini pageants and hooters? Sir, please put your tongue back in your mouth. Yeah. I can now do that. Whereas in a five-minute set, it's like, I don't believe you. Right, right. So the jokes that kind of worked work really well in a 45-minute set. Uh Uh-huh. I have a bit right now that I'm working on about my relationship, my friendship with my grandma. That kind of does okay in five minutes. It does great in 10, and it kills in 15. Oh, yeah. Because the more you realize... Because realize if I, this is something I tell comics all the time. If I talk about being friends with my grandma in a five-minute bit, I become Norman Bates. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> if I talk about being friends with my grandma in a 10-minute bit, I become Albert Brooks in the movie Mother. Yeah. <laughs> but if I talk about hanging out with my grandma in a 15 20 minute bit i'm now brad uh, uh brad pitt who hangs out with his grandma
3: yeah yeah
0: it's now wow paul's so cool he spends time with his grandma mm-hmm. totally different because when you only get because if i only have five minutes that means i only have five minutes to introduce myself to the audience mm-hmm. So if i'm choosing to talk about my grandma for that five minutes i'm creepy. yeah but if but if it Seems like it's something that's progressing to the point where you're like, this is a guy who sees a lot of movies. Mm. Is a guy who does stand up. He has road stories. This is a guy's got a lot of jobs, and he makes time for fam
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm a more well-rounded person. Yeah, so that's what I realized too. A lot of comics make that mistake. They throw a bit out because they never have the opportunity to try it at the 15-minute mark.
2: Mm.
0: And so, if you get to talk about something after 10 minutes of revealing yourself it's going to come off way differently than if you only get five. Right. That, yep. That's another thing too. Yeah. And,
1: you know, I think that's the first time that that's, you know, you're like my 130th or 135th person to interview. And that's the first time that's come up that you, they have to know who you are to understand or really buy in to some of the stuff you say. So right. yeah, that, that, that really makes sense. That's uh, that, that's kind of a, golden nugget for me Uh, going back to the Australian bit the the accent and I I watch that a couple times and the beginning part of that where you're first trying the accent and the guy's like okay what part of Australia you're from and it just keeps getting more uncomfortable um, and yet you're leaning into it so you 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 feel I can tell you feel bad about lying uh, about going to medical school um, but you still took the 20 bucks instead of the five. And there was there was something in there right right at that moment is when it really sealed the joke. So you could have you could have done whatever you wanted after that. But that right there is what made the joke real.
0: When when I admit that I'm lying mm-hmm. and that I don't like this mm-hmm. and I need to stop this, then I can lie as much as I want. Yeah. it's because if you think about our culture and the way that we see morality Mm -hmm. people go well i said i'm sorry yeah what more do you want me to do right okay well imagine if we all took that as our ethos Mm. we don't i mean we claim to do but we really don't i can then say well i'm sorry for doing this and then you go oh well now you can do it
3: yeah yeah
0: so that that that's a key. Now, here's what's funny. You talked about that as well. I got into an argument with a comedian one time about this, where they were talking about I'm not vulnerable enough because I don't talk about more. You know, I guess more sex stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? That
0: was their that. And I said, and you picked up on something very interesting. You picked up on the fact that I, I'm revealing to the audience that I can be a liar.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That to get out of something, to make money, I will lie if I if I feel that that will help. All right. And I said, as someone who grew up, I told the comic this, as someone who grew up with an evangelical background, um, that is a sense of vulnerability to Mm.
1: to
0: admit that I lied to make money. Right. And so, so you're right. There is a certain sense of when some comics are getting away with, you know, mistreating their date, when comics joke about mistreating their boss, I, my thing is I'm not mistreating women. I'm not mistreating which could all be fodder for comedy. Mm -hmm. I'm lying to people using a fake Australian accent to make money. Yeah. So it becomes a different type of vulnerability.
1: Yeah. And you feel worse about that than some people feel about doing much worse things. And, And that's, that's the vulnerability that came out. And I was just, I, it just hit me that, wow, this guy is just really Showing him, he's showing everything that he's all about right here. And it, you know that that part lasted maybe. 25 seconds and that's not even the whole joke it's you know it's right at the beginning it's pretty much the setup and yet right there you know I pulled you in and you know I was pissed off at you for lying because I was thinking I, I was the guy that changed my five into a 20 but at the same time I'm thinking yeah I've done that shit too so it was it was really it, I don't know why but that was you know out of everything I watched that joke just really grabbed me
0: it's a pretty popular joke uh, when I do it for uh, uh, every Saturday I perform at uh, a club in Santa Clarita. And I had a person come up to me one time and said, we brought our friend to have you do the, the Australian bit. You didn't do it. And I go, I I got to do different stuff because people see me every week. Yeah. And they're like, no, but, but kid, I said, tell you what, uh, here's my email. Tell me when you're going to come next time. I'll do it next time. Mm-hmm. But, Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a joke that connects. It's just, it's such a weird story. Like nobody does this. It's very sitcom-y, but it's a hundred percent true. And, and, and so it, it wouldn't, but you know what? My background of watching so much TV and movies, I think inspired me to do it. Mm. Like, couldn't you see Joey from friends trying an accent To get, you know what I mean, like to get a job. Yeah, you know, like oh, you you begin. So so, uh, but it's a very George Costanza thing to
3: do. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so, I thought to myself, if I was in the Seinfeld pitch room, I would have pitched that George uses an Australian accent Uh to get a marketing job, and he has to walk around all day with this terrible Australian accent. Yeah, which because it's New York or in my case Los Angeles, nobody would have known what a real Australian. Sounds like. Right. Well, the way that the story in real life goes is we had an Australian comic come to Flappers, she took some classes, and I did the Australian accent for her. And she was like, You don't sound Australian at all. <laughs> you sound like you're from New Zealand with a hint of Downsend. <laughs> so, you know, that which of course I have the other bit I do in the Dry Bar Special about the comment does this guy have down syndrome yeah so <laughs> so i would say that when i'm when i'm vulnerable and when i'm i'm, I'm doing that's when the bit connects that's when i can do it and then i have to kind of let it run its course and take it away for a little bit mm-hmm. and then get excited about it again yeah to work because i think you know a lot of times i see these poor comments who they got to do 45 minutes every night you know five nights a week four nights a week and and they don't have time to write new stuff, they don't have time to play on stage, they're getting paid to kill. Mm-hmm. And so you I, maybe not the audience, but I can see when they're finally kind of like they hate telling this
3: bit.
1: Right.
0: They're just getting annoyed. Yeah. But the audience doesn't know that, but you as the comic knows
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a kind of a curse of being in comedy and watching other comics is you're you're always overanalyzing everything and you, you, it's hard for you to just sit back and laugh you know just just dig the jokes um so in teaching when and, and i know that a, a lot of these folks are just coming in because they want to get better at public speaking and they want to you know inject some fun into their lives and stuff like that but for you you how does teaching affect the way that you approach your own comedy
0: well, it keeps me accountable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I, when I started, we had one or two instructors at the school who's kind of stopped doing stand up. Mm. So they left, but I made it a rule that you have to be actively getting up and you need to be getting up and you need to be getting, I said, even if that's open mics as an instructor, cause you're not, maybe you just don't have time right now. But I said, if, you gotta stay. You gotta be up. So if I hire an instructor, it's to make sure that you know, that they're actively out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. It keeps me very motivated. The other thing is it reminds me of the mistakes I can make if I rely just on persona. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny. I I feel like. So, are you familiar with Richard Jenny?
3: Oh
1: yeah, I love love the pilot. I feel like a lot of
0: times. A lot of times you watch a a 30-year-old comic coming in. They're really not telling jokes. They're just kind of doing a Richard Jenny impression. Mm-hmm. And so they got the jacket. You know, they're kind of up there, and they're kind of like, hey, you ever notice that when dogs get together, they sniff each other's butts? That's not really a joke. Yeah. That's just kind of... But they're doing it with this kind of club comic Richard Jenny Tahoe vibe. Mm-hmm. And so, and and you know, you can still get booked on that. Oh yeah. You can still get laughs on some of it. It's not anything that anyone's talking about afterwards, but, and it doesn't really go anywhere. Nobody can make money off you. No one's asking for your sitcom.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. No one's asking to make money off you, but you can get five minute guest sets here and there. You can, you know, still do a little thing of comedy, but it reminds me that I have to have, clear punchlines mm. so when i'm teaching and i'm constant so if i don't that means i don't get up that night so if i have a monday night class i don't get up mm. i'm i'm at class till 9 nine thirty. right so and i don't really want to go do a 10 o'clock mic right after that so what i'll do is i'll go okay what can i get out of this with while teaching and so the students are getting a better teacher because of that because i'm invested in it in a, in two ways one Helping them to helping myself mm. you know like oh how would you rework the bit so I would, i would give them the advice on what i would do for myself and in the process my comedy brain and mind keeps you know churning
1: yeah it's funny you talk about the persona and it seems like We're we're getting into a lot of folks that are um, trying to be like the new Bilber or whatever. They're 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 jumping into a persona that's not necessarily them. But the other thing is, as you write, they're they're working on the persona versus the writing. And it's funny. I had a a Canadian comic, Glenn Foster, on a few episodes ago, and I told him. And I don't know if I remember if I said this in the interview or before the interview, that I've been listened to, listening to JFL on the Sirius uh, more than like Raw Dog or any of the other stuff. And for some reason, I like it more and I don't know why. And he said, well, we're not, we're not nearly as famous, so we have to actually write better. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, and that's really it because there's some really smart stuff coming from the JFL station. And, and it really makes sense that when you put the time into the, as much time into the writing as the performance part and your voice and your persona, it really
0: shows. Well, the, you know, one of the things about Bill Burr that I always use are Dave Attell or Dave Chappelle. Uh, they're performing nine times out of 10 and Kelly in front of their fans. Yeah. And that's important for young comics to remember because you go watch Bill Burr, you go watch David Tell in front of a group that has no idea who they are because they're really, they're they're famous, but they're not Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Right, they're not a complete household name, right? Mm -hmm. So when they get in front of that group, they can bomb. Mm -hmm. They can bomb because the audience doesn't understand why are they talking about, you know, women that way? Yeah. Like, like they don't understand. Right. So, well, there's still an audience. So when, when young comics go, I saw Bill Burr Hill on his Netflix special with this joke about rape. Whatever. Mm. Okay. But that was in front of 20,000 people that have watched everything he's ever done and know that he's not a creepy guy.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's, that's a crucial thing. Jim Gaffigan, you know, you think about Jim Gaffigan, he gets big laughs on jokes that if if, if I just went to a, a an open mic and said, what's the deal with Hot Pockets? Mm-hmm. No one would laugh. No. But Jim Gaffigan, all of a sudden you watch this six foot one, two, you know, pale guy
2: mm-hmm.
0: talking about a food item that no one's ever thought about in their life. And that's the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. People don't always accept the the cult of personality and fan base plays a huge part in the success of certain bits.
1: Right. And your your analogy of five minutes versus 10 minutes versus 40 minutes really plays into this because it's one year versus five years versus 20 years. And you've, you, and Carlin did the same thing. I mean, and, and, you know, he changed, you know, he changed his point of view three times in in his career. And, you know, he went from the guy with the suit to the hippy-dippy weatherman to the uh, um, angry, angry old man. And, you know, it, it was a progression, but people yeah. went along with him, because they he was good at it
0: well yeah it and, and also goes back to you've never seen these guys do less than 30 minutes right now yeah so they have luxury of warming themselves up to do what they do mm-hmm. you know think about george carlin the way we see those comics is final products mm. it, yeah like like did you ever see George Carlin when he had a pad of paper at Hermosa Beach working on jokes? No. No. Most only only a few hundred people did. Yeah. Most people saw Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Taped. Yeah. With great visuals mm-hmm. and a clear picture. A sound mixer. Yeah. And, and and they sweetened the laps. I mean, I am the first one to tell people the Trevor Special. Oh, oh I, I know that they heightened. You know, they they mix it, they make it so that it matches. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors Hollywood happens when you watch something on television right. or streaming.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know, and
0: and that's important for young because comics get discouraged. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Well, I'm never gonna feel like that." Oh, you could if I put you in a studio. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, <laughs> we can make I, I that can, happen. You know, yeah,
0: we. Yeah, I mean, if you have a if you're generally a funny comic. And you got a nice little seven minutes, mm-hmm. and they put you on the Laps on Fox show. You know, a few years ago, mm-hmm. you'd have a great team. Yeah, even if the set was okay, the right. tape's going to be better than the set.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's like CGI but better.
0: Laps CGI.
1: Yeah. Like. <laughs> oh well, this is. So I've learned a lot today, um, and I wanna I wanna learn some more because I've got one for you. So I've got a new a, a new uh, segment called "Is this anything?" And I'm gonna make a sounder for it one of these days. But for right now, it's just me saying, "Is this anything?" And this is where we each bring, um, if, if you brought one, we each bring a premise, a bit, something that uh, we're working on or we want to work on or it didn't go as well as we thought, and we give each other some notes. Uh, so since you're the guest, if you have a bit, um, I'm going to let you decide if you want to go first or second, and, uh, and then we'll just get started.
0: So are we are we doing the joke as kind of like if I was on stage doing it for the first time kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I'm, and it's I, I normally just do a read through on mine. Um, I don't uh I, I don't do a ton of act outs or anything like that. But yeah, just just kind of just kind of like if if uh you were calling your friend and saying, hey, do you think this is anything?
0: Okay, so uh recently I uh, just got uh, off a plane. I came from uh from Phoenix to L.A., which is an hour flight uh mm-hmm. that happened to take 28 hours to make happen all right i uh at 5 p.m on sunday i'm on the plane the pilot goes attention everyone we're going to be taking off in 20 minutes go ahead and fasten your seat belts. and don't worry we'll be in la in one hour <laughs> so i fell asleep and woke up an hour later i looked at the guy next to me i go oh do we already land and he goes We haven't even taken off. Uh, I said to them, what happened? They said, well, it turns out there's a mechanical part and the the plane doesn't work. So they take us all off the plane and they tell us we have to come back at 7 p.m. That's fine. Then we come back at 7. They say, oh, we have to come back at 8 a.m. And I went to the lady and I said, are there no more planes? Like, can we not... Find a plane. It's an airport.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Like, like, don't you have a backup plane? You're telling me, forty years of flight, and they don't keep a spare plane in one of the hangars? Did Jay Leno take all the space in all the hangars of the Western Hemisphere for his cars? What is? The, why can we not fly an hour? An hour. I bet if you put us all in catapults, we can just, why? <laughs> they Los Angeles. We are one state. Of, we have to go. So they put me up in a hotel called the Sleepy Inn. <laughs> First off, that's ironic because no one has ever slept there. Okay, They might've been murdered. <laughs> I've been raped. Okay. They might've done a drug deal, but I promise you no one ever slept at the Sleepy Inn. All right. But it took me. Two hours to register because the people in front of me all also were members from my plane who happened to be a girls' soccer team of 10-year-olds, in which the coaches had to check them all into the computer, but they didn't know their last names. (laughs) So they go, uh, what's Carolyn? What's Carolyn's name? Carolyn what? I just call her Smith. Yeah, Carolyn Smith. And we got got Lupe, uh, Lupe Smith. And oh, they're all cousins. They're all cousins, they're all sisters. All right. So finally, I get up there. I swear to you, there were bed bugs in the bed. There were bed... The the toilet was so low, it looked like a prison toilet. I felt like this is probably where they put Martha Stewart. Like, in the (laughs) same setup. Like, just nice enough that she wouldn't cry, but really, really crappy. Uh, There was no shampoo, just a bar of soap, which which made me, again, think I was in prison. (laughs) And the TV didn't work and the lights didn't work. And I had to wake up six hours later and none of the plugins worked. So I had to hope to God that my phone didn't die. Uh, but then I thought, actually, my bigger fear is that I'm going to die. So that was where that goes. But finally I get to the, the ho- I get to the airport the next morning. I sit on the plane and the pilot, they actually said, I can't believe that only half the people came back. I go, <laughs> What did you think was gonna happen? You put them in the sleepy end, but they're probably all murdered so that's that's what i that's what I'm planning on doing sometime this week.
1: I like that and uh I'm thinking that um you could uh you could talk about the sleepy end. nobody has ever slept there unless it is their eternal sleep and right <laughs> my, <laughs> It, that might sure. that might hit at home i really like that and it's a it's a good rant and it's definitely i've lived through the same thing so i know how you feel <laughs> and they don't give you big enough vouchers yeah. when that happens
0: right to me the big complaint is we were an hour flight away
1: yeah yeah
0: like you couldn't just find a plane like and that to me was actually the, the that's where i realized my plane said
3: yep. you know. The,
0: taxi place doesn't have anywhere. they have a taxi waiting you know? yeah uh, and then i thought about the the what's in all these hangars
3: uh-huh.
0: and then i remembered at the burbank airport jay leno owns like half right so so then i thought maybe jay leno just owns some so i know that when i set this up i want to set it up like at the burbank i went from bur i flew out of burbank where jay leno owns half of the hangar i got uh-huh. to set it up with that to do the callback later right so that's You know, but that was what my head was going through, which is what, how could there not be any more planes? Right. And and the other part I forgot to mention was that the plane technically moved from terminal 18A to 23A. So technically we did move. Mm -hmm. So like, there's that, there's that kind of like, no, technically we did fly. We flew on land. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, couldn't we just drive the plane? (laughs) That's that's it, right? Can't we just drive the plane? (laughs) yeah if we just drive the plane i mean you no know, it's, it's a sunday before halloween how many people are on the road yeah
1: so yeah i, lo- I love the so that, why that, don't you have a yeah i love the why don't you have a spare plane it's it's so obvious that you know because I've been, it's
0: also entitled yeah yeah right. there's a certain white male entitlement yeah too. yeah right like 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 when we buy TVs, what do you mean you ran out of the TVs? You yeah. don't have all nothing but televisions so here at Best Buy. <laughs> you know that's that's yeah. that's the entitlement. There should yeah. just paying more planes for when this happens. Yeah, I, I, but you're trying to get home, so you don't care anymore, mm-hmm. right? That so that's the other part. I yeah. can do the observation part. Could be like because when you're in a rush and you just want to go home, you've been on the road for twelve hours already. Like you reason has left yes. the airport. Yeah, okay, you don't yeah. care, like. If you got to put fee on you know, the pilot's back and he runs me, oh, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then if you want to put the stewardess on my back, hey, we'll call it a threesome. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: I love well, yeah. it, and and you can really you can really change the tone of that by just how angry you get during during that whole rant. I mean, you could really, yeah. you could turn it up to the point where you're doing a Lewis Black up there, and or or you could or you could uh, be very as a matter of fact about it too.
0: It well, you know, Lewis uh, 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 Black is a great example of, of up anger. My favorite is actually John Panette.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: When John Panette is asking, how did you run out of food? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that type. And I met his manager once. So he's dead. But I met, I met the manager. Mm-hmm. And the manager said one time, he goes, you remind me of John. And I thought that was the most wonderful oh, yeah. But I, at the time, I was 285. So I wasn't sure what he meant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul, I got one here. And this this is actually inside of a larger bit. And the reason why I want to do it is because I feel like it is so obvious that it's been done before, um, but I I can't find it. You know, I do all the keyword searches and stuff like that, so I'm just going to throw it out there and see if you've heard it. Um, they call a second job a side hustle now. That's a big win for the capitalist marketing team. I mean, a second job sounds like you're poor, but a side hustle, well, it still sounds like you're poor but you're having more fun on your second job.
0: Okay, so to me, a hustle feels like a scam, right? You're uh-huh. hustling something. Mm-hmm. So, so if anything, the the way I would approach it is they call it a side hustle because it's really your job, your main job hustling you into thinking you have to get more work instead of more pay. Oh.
3: Uh-huh.
0: So, so now that's the Carlin, that's the way Carlin would write. Mm-hmm right right like the american dream is a nightmare yeah you, know, you got to be asleep to believe in it right that kind of stuff so if you think about it in the terms of the second job i would also want to have the details what's the first job what's the second because if your first job is i'm a multi you know I, i'm on the account
3: yeah
0: for a multi-million dollar chain of restaurants but my second job is i have an OnlyFans. yeah that's going to be funnier yeah see so once you explain what your second hustle is, like, like, like I work this first job, now the side hustle needs to be an absolutely ridiculous thing that you're doing. Yeah. I right? so, so, for instance, when teachers, this is a bit that I'd probably be doing if I was still teaching. I have a master's degree. I'm a college professor. But my side hustle would be, if I said, like, you know, Uber Eats, because, uh-huh. you know, you have to go to college to be able to bring people their mozzarella sticks. Yeah. See, that's, so, that's, so my the, si-
1: that's my side hustle. That's what the whole joke is about, is is doing the food delivery.
0: Right. So then you would want to mention what it is. You're doing food delivery. But that's yeah. not what your goal in life was. Right. So whatever Scott wanted to do in life, whatever you, like, did you get a college degree? No. Okay. So on some level, you could be like, how, do, how could a guy with no college degree end up working for Uber Eats? <laughs> See, so that's one way to do it. Now, what's your main job? Is it the podcasting?
1: No, it's uh it's it related. I'm a consultant.
0: Right. So I'm an IT consultant, which by the way, the number one leading job for people with no college degree. Right? Because yeah. you can learn on learn on your own. Yeah. But you still have to like deliver pizzas to people. Yeah. So so the idea is you you, you maybe you start that by explaining to people how we're gonna have to use the C system to be able to integrate with the uh NSS, whatever. And then we're going to be able to do a synergize so that we can get the Wi-Fi across the whole thing. One second, I'll be right back. And then you get on the phone, you're like, okay, uh, mozzarella sticks <laughs> to cherry pick lane. Thank you. <laughs> so so if you if you show the contrast, yeah, where it starts with, I'm a very successful person who just doesn't make enough money.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then you have them inter you have the side hustle interrupt. woman minute, guys, I'm getting a text. It's from Grubhub. Mm-hmm. I need to deliver two extra cheesy pizzas. You so you you think of the dumbest thing you have to order. Now the next way to write the bid is you're in this IT meeting and they're like, Why do you have to do that? And you're like, Oh, because uh guys, you got the lowest bidder. Yeah. Like, congratulations. <laughs> this is what happens when you get the lowest bidder. You get yeah. a multitask. <laughs> you know, and so now you're working the bit as the consultant, but then, and so you were the but then, like during the middle of the shift, you have to go deliver people their Pepsi's.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's what I would be doing is showing the contract as to yeah. this very high level skilled labor you have to do. And
3: I really, I, I, yeah, I, I like in the that. Middle of it. Yeah.
0: You have to do all of this, but it needs to be the worst foods. Yeah. Right? It needs to be like I have to go pick up four boxes of frozen White Castle. Uh huh. You know, to deliver to a couple of 17-year-olds, you get to the door, you open it up smoke everywhere. You know, it smells like they've been having sex for two weeks. Uh-huh. And then you get back in your car, you go back to the work to do the IT stuff, and they go, Scott, you know, we didn't want to tell you this, but it sounds like it smells like you're pretty high right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it also smells like you've been with a 17-year-old girl, because my daughter has that same perfume. Yeah. <laughs> Would you mind explaining why on the clock you smell like pot and... You know, Hannah Montana.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> but you, you know, that that's how I would build the bit out. It's mm. the emotional truth, which is this is how it feels like what I'm doing. It's not what you're literally doing. It's yeah, how you feel what you're
1: doing. Yeah, that 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 is really good feedback because it, it I do have some tags in it, that, and this was just a piece out of it because I I know that somebody has to have done the comparison of second job to side hustle and i i just i can't find it
0: but here but here's the way you want to write it is don't write it from the observational point of view write it from the personal point of view yeah because everyone has tinder jokes
3: mm-hmm. but it's
0: your tinder joke yeah it's your dating joke it's your marriage joke it's your kids joke it's your unique experience mm-hmm. so when you explain that you're going from it to sending Doritos to people, Mm -hmm. that's different than my side. So my side hustle is I write uh, political pieces.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I I don't talk about it. I'm not a political comedian in any way, Mm but I am a deep political thinker. Like Mm -hmm. if we were to sit and talk about all the things of politics, I would have an opinion on everything. It would be very thorough, but I don't want to do that as a comedian because I do that already. But my side hustle is—I literally go from telling people how bad I am to explaining how I would break down the Ukraine-Russian
3: uh-huh. conflict.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And so, my side hustle is different than yours. Yeah, I don't have any kind of theme in side hustles. My side hustle still required me to have a master's degree. Yeah, in English uh-huh. or journalism. Right. I mean, so, so that's that's different. So, so, therefore, you want to specify what the side hustle is.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, so I'm, I am underpaid in four different professions for what I'm capable of doing. Right. Whereas you're, you're overpaid with the lack of education. I and mean, when you take it from that point of view, so here I am with my three degrees uh-huh. and here you are with your none, but you're the one who's the big it consultant. Uh-huh. And I'm the guy who tells, you know, penis joke. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's, that's where you. See that's what's funny about that. Yeah. And so, so if I were you, I would make it very clear that, like, I'm I don't have a formal education. I taught myself how to be a consultant for IT work, but it doesn't pay all the bills. Right. So I think that that's, that's But once you're more specific, it becomes funnier.
1: Mm-hmm. I do have uh, since we're in since we're in it. I do have one tag in it that um, that um, you know I I told a coworker that um, that I'm doing this food delivery stuff and he said man you must have fallen on some hard times huh and my answer to that is uh well i've pretty much just fallen on times this is isn't this what everybody's going through
0: right i'm now doing the job that everyone does yeah uh like oh how did you get into uh how did you get into doing uber Eats? uh i don't know i went on the internet yeah (laughs) i i I looked up I looked up part time jobs and it was either this or just drive for Uber. Yeah. Like yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So the more you exaggerate right. the experience, mm-hmm. the funnier it always be. Right. So it's 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 I didn't fall in hard times. I'm literally living everyone's time. Yeah. <laughs> so when it becomes to everyone, it's an exaggeration. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's the, I'm definitely going to go back to the drawing board on this one and try to try to put it together and get a little bit more outrageous with it. And, and yet, yeah. and, and show up from a, and I didn't even think about talking about my real job. I didn't even. Nobody.
0: That's, yeah. that's the problem that every comic has is that they don't realize you're not a comic. Yeah. You're a person who does comedy. Yeah. So you bring you to the stage. Yeah. You just, once you tell me you do it consulting work, Mm-hmm. I now see that you see the world from a method uh, a very methodical way
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're a scientist, you know what i mean you're you're a mathematician right you are a man of logic, so anything you do that's illogical now becomes funnier
1: yeah, I like it yeah. I like it. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for that. That, you know, I learned a lot in, in, in this particular hour and, uh, I, I, am really glad we connected.
0: Oh, i um, yeah. No, thank you for having me. If you want to bring me back anytime, please let me know.
1: For sure. So how can people and, find uh, you?
0: Uh, uh, the Moomabides is T H uh, E M O O M A B I D E S. the Moomabides uh. on Instagram, TikTok, everything. Okay, cool. In cool. fact, I think it's now my YouTube handle as well, because YouTube's doing handles now.
1: So. Yeah, they yeah uh, they, they threw me one, so that was nice, yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, I just had two shorts that popped off at 2,000-plus views over the last 24 hours, so... Cool. That might be where I, I go. I, I get paid for Instagram reels, but they're so funny with their algorithm. Yeah. One thing gets 5,000 hits, the next gets four, and you're like you know what, this is a,
1: it's, yeah, I have the same, it's problem.
0: not worth it for two. It's not worth it for a couple hundred bucks a month.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just
0: not. Yeah. I've seen,
1: I've seen that. I, that's a whole other discussion. I'd like to get a round table of people talking about why social media is ruining comedy, but that's, that's something else. But, uh, <laughs> but thank you. Oh, true. Yeah. Th- thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fun.
0: Oh, well, thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon.
1: Excellent.